Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times. That is the only show that comes from far and wide, light years away, cast in the shadows, and now light the way. That's right, Getting Over is back, breaking down everything that has gone down over the last few days in the world of WWE, both SmackDown and Raw, and we have a big show ahead of us. But before we get to that, if you have not already, check the podcast feed for instant analysis of AEW Double or Nothing, where my co-host Chris Giannini joins me just moments after the show went off the air. I think we broke down over an hour of everything that went down in AEW and threw a couple comparisons in there, uh, not just between AEW and WWE, but the main event of Double or Nothing and some of the more cinematic matches that WWE has put out over the last few months. Also, don't forget, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine wrestling audio and drop us that five-star rating and review. That is incredibly important to us. Also important, following the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast and telling a friend, family member, coworker, anyone you know who likes wrestling, post it on Reddit. I don't care. Let them know about Getting Over, your favorite professional wrestling podcast, and help us grow. As I mentioned, my co-host, Chris Vanini, joining me today. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Of course, you can follow me at Silverstein Adam. Chris, we're coming right off, hopefully a socially distanced Memorial Day, at least considering what I saw go down in the beaches and parks not too far from my house. The Silver King kind of ran it solo, a couple um, video conferences with friends, some brewskis, some barbecue. How was your Memorial Day? It was pretty rainy, so I did not uh, leave the house all that much, but we did get some pretty good wrestling uh, from both companies over the holiday weekend and uh, get you excited to talk about it. Yeah, definitely am excited to talk about it, uh, but I will agree the weather um, here, and I'm in South Florida for those that you know don't know that already, which I think most of you do, it was atrocious. Like the last few months, like, basically the best weather we've had all year has been during the coronavirus quarantine. So I've been able to go outside because obviously they, they say that's okay. Um, but then Memorial Day hits and people are just starting to consider, hey, maybe we can hang out with family if we're careful and maybe we can do this or that. And it has downpoured for the last week here, like to the point where my yard is just water and it's been soaked. And I mean, I don't even know. I assume it's going to recover because it's grass, but it's just in a bad way. So my Memorial Day, yeah, basically was spent drinking beer uh, and raising hell no, drinking beer and watching pro wrestling. And in between those, watching Better Call Saul. Uh, I, for those of you that we've spoken about Breaking Bad on this show, how much I've enjoyed it, I am now three full seasons into Better Call Saul. I guess that means I have two left, and then I, I hope it's still going. It seems like it will have another season uh, next year. It's loving it. I got to say, I don't know that it's better than Breaking Bad, but it is encroaching on that title uh, or in, in that level. It is a fantastic show. I'm fully enjoying it. And it brings a lot of heart and humor to this Albuquerque, New Mexico area that you don't necessarily get from the Breaking Bad series. So I'm a big fan of that. I know you haven't watched those, so we haven't really discussed it. Um, but we're not yeah. here to talk. We're not here <laughs> to talk about TV anyway. Well, we are here to talk about TV. We're here to talk about professional wrestling on TV. And the way we start doing that is with the main event. 
So before we get to, you know, breakdowns of Raw and SmackDown, and we, and we are going to cover everything that happened on those episodes, I do have a few larger topics that I would like to discuss with you today. The first, obviously, what went down Monday night, Chris. We went from completely empty WWE performance centers taping Raw and SmackDown to this really unique presentation that I think WWE gave us on Monday night. Uh, they blocked off the entrance ramp and they put hockey glass, plexiglass, on top of the barricades and allowed a number of talents. I would say about, I initially thought it was two dozen, but I actually think it's about three dozen NXT and Performance Center talents, including some notable names, Shotzi Blackheart, Caden Carter, Jessamyn Duke, Malcolm Bivens, Rick Boogs, who's a, uh, a huge name on this podcast that we actually haven't gotten the opportunity to talk about how much I like Rick Boogs, but we'll get there. And Simone Johnson, The Rock's daughter. There were a couple mm -hmm. other there were a couple other notable names as well. Uh, but they blocked off the barricades and the ramp um, with this plexiglass. They allowed these people to stand about six feet apart. Sometimes more than more than not, um, there were a couple times they got a little bit closer together. And I think this really solved a lot of the issues that we've been talking about on this podcast. With sports, you need some type of ambient noise. And AEW, despite me not liking the way they've done it, it's almost like they've tried to be safe without actually being safe. Have people wear masks, but under their chins. And I've discussed that ad nauseum. I don't want to get into it again. I don't necessarily think WWE did it any better, but they did do it safer for the actual people performing in matches themselves. And I found that to be a massive improvement on what WWE has done by having a lot of the talent, the NXT, you know, and PC talent on the camera side, uh, uh, opposite camera side, I guess, which would be near and around the ramp. It really helped the visual of watching the product. And honestly, I only had one criticism for it. That was there were probably way too many crowd shots during the actual matches. Doing them before and after is fine, but I don't need to see a random person, I don't know, half cheering in and miss a moment from, you know, Drew McIntyre kicking the shit out of Bobby Lashley in the main event. So from a noise standpoint, huge step up from what we've had for two months now. This is the kind of thing we've been wanting for a while. Uh, the glass... I thought it was a little strange at first, but then I kind of understood it and I was okay with it. I actually kind of liked the visual of them coming uh, of a wrestler coming down the ramp with the glass on the side and people yeah. kind of pounding on the glass, like kind of coming down a tunnel or something. That's actually a pretty cool visual. I like that. Uh, having just a couple reactions to a promo, to a move, just makes a world of difference. We've seen it on AEW for a few months now. It's much improved. We needed that. At a couple of minor quibbles. One, could can we get them some chairs? They were standing for three hours there. So there were I, chairs. There were chairs. People I, were there chairs. I didn't. Yeah. I only saw people standing the whole time. I saw I a lot. I, I saw a lot of criticism about this online. First of all, they weren't there three hours. They were there like eight hours because I think right. they taped. I know. Right. Yeah. Right. I know I it's they, taped. I'm just saying in kayfabe, it looked like they were standing for three hours. Sure. No, it did. In kayfabe, it looked like they were standing. But um, you know, six six hours of raw and apparently two hours of main event they were taping. But you're right. It did look like that from a kayfabe perspective. But lining the walls out of camera shot on each side were chairs. So my assumption is, cons considering there were so many chairs that were lining the walls and they were all WWE event chairs, my guess is that, especially during 
uh, tapings and breaks between tapings, and maybe even during commercial breaks or when there's known backstage segments, I think they were able to sit down. I don't think yeah. they were making them stand for eight hours. And the other thing is this, look, I'm, you know, I hate, I can't even believe I'm saying it, almost a middle-aged guy at this point. You want me to stand for eight hours? Not going to happen. But when I was 22, if you said to me, hey, <laughs> go watch wrestling and stand for eight hours, and yeah, you can sit down here and there, I'm totally able to do that. Like there, there are people like barbers, for example, that stand on their feet all day for work. And that's not counting people that actually do labor, like in fields and, you know, and real things that take actual like brawn uh, and strength. Uh, so I don't think it was that crazy to say, hey, stand for a few hours and watch entertainment. And by the way, we both come from the world of football. I don't think I've ever sat down in the swamp once. I've been to an NXT show, house show here in Dallas, and I got a standing room only seat. So I've been through that before, but I much rather would have preferred a seat. And, and I get that they had seats lined up when there were pauses. I'm sure they could sit down. I just think it would have been, it would have, just, again, it's just a little thing, but it would have just kind of added to the realistic feeling if those people standing in random spots had a chair with them as well. Let um, me tell you, let me argue against that. Okay. Here, here's why I think it wouldn't have worked. Because of the plexiglass and because of the dark barricades and the dark floor and the dark background, I think if everyone was sitting down, you would lose them. No, the you, don't need, you don't need them sitting down, but just having a chair so it doesn't look awkward when you just see people standing. Got you. Okay, okay. Out there. Yeah, just for you. the look. Yeah, yeah. And, and, okay. and then the other thing, I kind of, not a huge deal, but I kind of, when I saw this setup, I was wondering if all those people behind the plexiglass should be wearing masks themselves yeah, right. Agreed. because Agreed. they are they are themselves technically kind of being exposed not to coronavirus necessarily but just exposed out there and the whole idea of the glass was to separate it from the wrestlers in the ring but th they themselves behind the glass were still technically through that and like i said aw sometimes they have masks sometimes they don't it's inconsistent but it was just something that came to mind when i saw the setup overall i thought it was a huge improvement those are just a couple of little things that popped in my head when I saw it. No, I think that's a totally fair criticism because I've said it about AEW. It's one of my biggest issues is they have like one third of the people wearing masks. Those that do take them off, put them back on or touching the front of it. You know, Billy Gunn is a great example of it. Jake Roberts will come out with a mask, lose it, put it back on, have it dangling from one ear. That is not it completely defeats the purpose of wearing a mask, first of all. And I don't want to get into a whole coronavirus thing here, but you're wearing a mask for other people. You're doing it for the benefit of others with the idea that if everyone wears a mask, that everyone is benefiting from everyone else, right? It, it's the herd operating in a certain manner to protect the, the group that may be most, you know, potentially afflicted by it. That's the entire point. So you're, you're totally right. If WWE had had everyone wearing wrestler masks, just like they had them wearing wrestler t-shirts, I would have much preferred that. And WWE did say everyone was tested but they said medically tested. They didn't say coronavirus tested. Now, you know, apparently previously WWE had been doing like temperature checks and questionnaires and basically everything they could do without coronavirus tests, which I think people don't understand, are not as available in Orlando as they are in Jacksonville for private companies, which is where AEW is taping. So there's a reason why AEW and UFC were able to coronavirus test everyone before their shows and WWE to some point had not been able to do so. Now, I don't know if that's changed. Maybe it has. But that that's something that needs to be known. Now, you should be saying, well, maybe WWE shouldn't even be operating. And so, and yeah, OK, yeah. I think that's something that Chris and I have talked about for a long period of time. But we're, we're talking about wrestling as it's happening because that's the point of this show. So I'm with you. 
They should have been wearing masks. I would have preferred to see them wearing masks. And honestly, if they were, and they said, you know what, we can get another 10 people in there if everyone wears masks, then it's louder, you see more bodies, and I would have been totally fine with it. For people you know, that are saying that WWE copied what AEW did, well, a couple things here. Number one, AEW copied what The Tonight Show did, and Tony Khan came out and said as much. Uh, WWE, I think, in many ways, did it better and at least safer for the performers in the ring than the way AEW did it. And nevertheless, I don't care about copying. Like, do whatever you can do to make your product appear on television the best it possibly can. You know, people said, hey, WWE, after a couple of weeks, changed the way the camera angle was, and now they're focusing on the entrance like AEW did. Well, good for them. Now, I don't think they did it because of AEW. I think WWE needed a couple of weeks to like build this incredible set that they now have, whereas AEW already had a stage at Daly's Place and a really nice setup. But nevertheless, good, copy them. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, make your product look the right. best it possibly can. And if someone else is doing it slightly better, then copy it. If if The Tonight Show is doing things a certain way and Stephen Colbert is like, man, like that, the way that looks makes so much more sense than the way I'm doing it. I would hope to hell that he fixes it and does it that way. Like not every single thing in wrestling these days has to be, well, AEW <laughs> is doing it better than WWE, but NXT and this like, yeah, on Wednesdays, do we do we have the Wednesday night war conversation? Of course we do, because they're going head to head. That's what professional wrestling is, right? The Monday night wars, we loved it. But just because that is existing on Wednesdays doesn't mean that like every single thing, the way the way AEW does the dark order needs to be directly compared to how Seth Rollins does the, you know, his faction or his group, whatever they're becoming right now. So I think people need to get a lot less locked into, you know, this company copied that company. They're doing it better than them. If, if it's both good, then I don't care who's doing it slightly better. For example, Chris and I had a really nice conversation about the stadium stampede match against the Boneyard match in the Firefly Funhouse. We didn't say any of them were bad. We're just like, hey, these were all good for different reasons. Here's how we rank them. And I think especially with everything getting so, I don't even know, divisive in our political world and in our real world, when it comes to wrestling, it's still entertainment, folks. Like at some point, I don't give a shit if WWE changed its camera angle or or added fans and AEW did it first. Who gives a shit? I'm just yeah. glad that it looked better on Monday night than it did last Monday night. Yeah, yeah. I can tell this touched and you I can tell this touched a nerve with you. We want all the wrestling to be good. And if once someone does something well and the other does it too, that's good for everybody. This was yeah. a safer environment as well. That's good. It's all good. Like, like you, you could definitely say they both shouldn't be having shows or if they are, they both should be testing for coronavirus and blah, blah, blah. For me, dude, I'm trying to use wrestling as an escape from all this shit. I don't like like the 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 animosity. Uh, I'll tweet. The reason the reason I'm coming up with this is I tweeted something about like, hey, Gronk cut a really good promo despite it being scripted. And someone comes back to me on Twitter and they're like, of course it was scripted. Uh, you're you're stupid. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, like of course they're not gonna have Rob Gronkowski cut a promo like off the cuff. But you know what? I'm not expecting that, nor do I care. I was entertained that Rob Gronkowski on Monday night cut a promo against our truth, and like it was on my television. Like, so I'm happy about that. Anyway, yeah, you're you, right. You don't, you don't need to stand for one billionaire over another. It's 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 that's awful. that's the other thing. Uh, but all right, let's get back to the actual topic. I don't know why I went off on that rant. I guess that guy pissed me off. Um. <laughs> So the other thing that I thought was lost in this a little bit, which is actually another positive, is that a lot of the people in the crowd, 
were not regular performers on NXT. There were a couple that are, but most of them were not. They're people that we've never seen before. And it's actually a really good learning experience for these people to get to watch the best of the best do it for three, six, eight hours. You're going to assume that many of them are going to be there for SmackDown and maybe even NXT for the weeks to come. They're going to get to see the best wrestlers in the world wrestle in front of them with no obstruction, see them cut promos. It's like taking guitar lessons and hoping to one day become a guitarist and starting your own band. And your teacher saying, hey, you know what? Today coming into our class is Jimi Hendrix. You know, it's just, it's mind blowing that these people who are really stuck in the performance center and yet occasionally a superstar will come into rehab and maybe they'll do a little bit light ring work. They're going to get the opportunity to watch, you know, when they're taping these shows, upwards of like 15 hours of, of, of the best to do it in the world, do it right in front of them. And hopefully they take those lessons into their training once that starts back up again. So I just think that's a really cool thing for all those people. And, you know, I don't know who would be the best person to talk to. Maybe Shotzi, maybe, you know, someone who NXT may make available for us to interview. But I would really love to know what they think about that experience. Yeah, and we'll talk about it later with some news about people coming up. But when you've got everybody in the performance center there, I know they're not all in there at the same time, but you hope that the setup allows, you know, the trainees to interact with people they hadn't otherwise, and and you can get some some long term uh, gains out of this from them in terms of just learning from the best. So I think it's a pretty cool deal. I didn't recognize most of them. I don't watch NXT a ton. I recognize Malcolm Bivens. Uh, but uh, other than that, I just, again, I liked having people in there and they knew when to react and how to react. And I don't know how much, if they were coached on that at all, if they knew what was coming, but it was, uh, it was good. All right. Adam X Parsons at Adam X Parsons. He writes in, Glad to see WWE finally decided to add talent around the ring like AEW. Do you think now they'll be able to locate, create an arena similar to Daly's Place to provide a more TV-friendly experience, complete with pyro, scattered fans, etc.? No, I don't think it's necessary unless you're going to have an arena or a state or a city that's going to let fans come in, like regular people, and are going to allow, let's say, 4,000 people in an 18,000-seat arena. Unless you're going to have that, then WWE, in my opinion, should not move outside of the Performance Center. They're losing money right now, not running events. So to put all of your talent and all of your stuff in production trucks and go, and have you know people go set it up in an arena for 2,000 people to show up, that doesn't really work. Now, you know, if the Orlando Arena or if there's a maybe a venue in Orlando that is a uh, amphitheater type situation that they could permanently be in. That might work, but it's also really starting to rain in Florida these days and being outdoors. It's actually a concern I do have for AEW coming up, but being outdoors to tape that much TV, um, that might you know not work. So unless the Orlando Arena is like, look, we're not having hoops the rest of the year um, or there's a venue in Disney that I'm not thinking about where they could, you know, have a you know, couple hundred fans and do it that way. I'd be OK with it. But I think the Performance Center and uh, Full Sail which, you know, they do have full sale still, let's not forget, They're, they are taping NXT there. Uh, if either of those opens up to the point where WWE can have a couple hundred fans along with maybe the PC talent, I'm fine with that, but I just don't think they need to go anywhere else. Yeah, n- now that they've fixed the fan issue, I think it's fine. I, I don't think going into a bigger arena, when if you're not going to have many fans anyways needed, I, I think I think it's 
fine the way it is now. D- Daly's place, the acoustics are better, but it's still largely empty. Uh, other than that, I, you don't need to put the money into another arena if, if you got this set up now. There is a shocking number of people, though, at the Daly's Place AEW tapings. Like, forget the ringside area. They have, like, three sections of fans that are, I mean, they're not full. They're, like, each section probably has 20 people. But, like, there's people in the crowd. I don't know who they are, if they're, like, family. I know they're all tested, so that's safe. That's good. Um, But it's... It is more than just the people around ringside, right? Well, and you, you also don't see them, though. The, the camera angle, right. they're on the hard right. cam side. They're making some extra noise. Maybe you need some extra noise since it's a bigger place. But uh, again, I, I think the number of people with the setup that they have now on, on Raw, in terms of sound quality, it was much better. It was good. And if, you, if you're if you going to open up to add 60 people, you know, I don't think you really need to do that unless you can start running full-on house shows again, which we're not there yet. Agreed. We have one more question about this. John Dunphy at John Dunphy 68. He said, I enjoyed having some crowd noise from the NXT wrestlers at ringside. Any concerns with the plexiglass affecting the acoustics as it was difficult to hear in ring promos? Also, if a panel falls, will that give an unintentional appearance of an unsafe environment? Um, I did think that at times the in ring promos were tough to hear. I think that was more because the crowd was mic'd up too loud than the acoustics in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that the wrestlers need to know that, hey, it's not empty anymore. You need to start like being loud and, and you know, really putting it forward on the mic, which they had not been doing uh, as of late. So that was the thing for me. Learning experience, they'll figure it out. Those panels are not falling. Uh, you know, I guess it could happen theoretically, but it makes hot- for a great spot, like a hockey, you know, like, yeah. like the glass breaks It'd be a great. You can't really shatter the puxy glass, but. It'd make for a great spot right. if, you like had if, like a, if you had like a sugar glass panel up or something if, like that. If they gimmicked one of them and and broke it right. and it fell, yeah, that would work. But like yeah. those hockey panels don't break unless there is like a tremendous impact at a certain point of failure. You know, those those really just don't that doesn't happen and they definitely don't fall. So, you know, for me, there's just no concern in that regard for any of that. Uh, but, you know, f- fair question. You know, uh, I didn't think the acoustics were affected, though. Um, OK, some WWE backstage roster news one of these is a minor spoiler so if you want to fast forward uh maybe just skip like two or three minutes ahead but you know i don't think it's that big of a deal uh coming up apparently matt riddle will be making his main roster debut presumably after his cage match on wednesday against timothy thatcher which by the way kurt angle will be special guest referee i'm extremely excited about that uh and riddle will not only be making his main roster debut soon according to uh, Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful and also PW Insiders Mike Johnson, but he will be debuting on SmackDown. Now, on this show, Chris, for a long period of time before you were ever a co-host and before this show even existed, when I was on another show, I begged WWE to put Matt Riddle on the main roster, and I begged them to do it because he's a main roster star, he's a future world champion, and I actually think he might be the heir apparent to John Cena that they don't really have as much as they hoped in Roman Reigns because he's naturally cool. He's incredibly gifted in the ring. He can cut promos. He's a good looking dude. I think women like him. Uh, And he just has it all. Five tool player in every regard. And if he's not the heir apparent to John Cena, then he's maybe equivalent to the next Kurt Angle and just a guy that will be a multi-time champion. You can put in any feud at any time. He can be heel or face. It just works. But All of that, that big take that I just gave you was predicated on Matt Riddle joining the main roster 
on Raw under Paul Heyman, who would be able to utilize him to the best of his abilities. It looks like he's going to SmackDown. The Silver King is depressed about that. Are you excited to see Matt Riddle on the main roster? Uh, and do you have the concerns that I do on him being on SmackDown versus being on Raw? Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, overall, yeah. I think my biggest concern, though, is that I think he's a guy who really thrives in a crowd. And having him make a debut on a main roster in front of a crowd as a call-up, I think, yeah. really help establish him as like a big deal to people who don't know him. So he's going to have to work for it, and he's especially going to have to work for it on SmackDown to to show that he is deserving of that spot and is able to build uh, a fandom remotely until whenever fans come back. So I'm a big fan of him for obvious reasons. He, he's got it all, like you said. Um, I, I think he brings a ton to the table, of course. Uh, I'm just also concerned about SmackDown and also concerned it's going to take some time, I think, in, 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 in a mostly, I guess, mostly empty now uh, place to to do it. Yeah, I think it's fair. There's also the, this weird thing that SmackDown had already been pretty loaded in terms of the mid card. I mean, just look at the, the Intercontinental Championship Tournament, which we're going to talk about later. It is really strong in terms of names that are in that. And yes, AJ Styles was brought over from Raw, but he's now a permanent member of SmackDown, which is something I guess we can talk about here as well, that they did it. They are saying that there are considerations that will go back to Raw. They haven't said what they are. Apparently, they're saying it's a trade. But if Raw is trading AJ Styles, they better be getting someone legitimately big back in return because you're talking about a top guy, right? So now they have Riddle and AJ Styles. And I have to be honest, for as as much as I've said that Raw is the worst, uh, sorry, SmackDown is the worst of the two compared to Raw. And that is another topic we're going to talk about later. The injection of those two into this roster, it really gets me excited to watch SmackDown each week. And if they can take the title off Strowman, which is something we're going to talk about very soon, uh, I'm really excited to see really where SmackDown goes with these two. Because look, like I've said, Riddle, if used properly, is a massive top line star. And my only concern is it just doesn't seem that this combination of Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard running SmackDown right now, it doesn't seem like they have any idea how to book the main event. Um, now, the women's storyline, as I've said, I think is one of the best, if not the best, in WWE right now on SmackDown. Uh, but the tag team picture is a total mess. The Intercontinental Championship picture, let's see how it works out. The tournament so far has been good. But Braun Strowman ain't doing it for me. Um, and I don't think they're going to plug in Matt Riddle or AJ Styles and have them win the championship right away. So I am just concerned that they're loading up this SmackDown program with a lot of names that we really need to see. And it's a two-hour show. And I don't know how many of them we're going to see week to week. Well, not only AJ, I, I, I'm pretty sure AJ was my pick to win the tournament, and I figured it he was, was. going to get get over to SmackDown in some form, and that has happened with the trade. And I, I, I'm fine with the trade. I think it's a little weird to do a trade while you're also doing the interbrand, right. whatever it's called. So it's it's fine, but I'm glad they acknowledged it and did it. Uh, we'll see. I'm sure someone big will come over soon at some point. They probably just haven't figured it out. Um, but not only, I mean, you got AJ, you got Matt Riddle, when that happens, you have Daniel Bryan, and you also have the other bit of news, uh, which is that Drew Gulak has re-signed with 
WWE. Uh, so you've got four guys there who can really put those guys in any any combination of that group. You're going to have some really, really good matches. And I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do because I think the Dan O'Brien Gulak stuff has been fun. And I think there's some fun things that they can do with them. We'll see. I know you're not purposely leaving them off, but let's also not forget they have Cesaro in that roster. Yeah, and, and Nakamura, who I know Shinsuke, hasn't yeah. much, but yeah, he's there. They, they have Shinsuke Nakamura. When he comes back, I don't know how healthy he is, but Sami Zayn they have on that roster. So they have a lot of, when you talk about in-ring talent, that can be a wrestling show if they want it to be. They have the horses to go. Um, so it's really interesting. And like you said, yeah, Drew, Get, Drew Gulak, uh, appears to have re-signed with WWE or is at least working again for WWE. Uh, you know, he his contract expired a couple weeks ago. The really like a day, I think, after he lost that Intercontinental uh, Championship tournament match to Drew uh, Daniel Bryan, stumbling all, all over the place here. Uh, he it looks like it, his contract had expired. Reportedly, he was in the middle of a negotiation with WWE, wanted a raise. WWE was like, hey, look. We just let a bunch of people go. We're not giving raises during this time. Um, now, I'm assuming that he's on a main roster contract now as opposed to what may have been a 205 Live NXT contract previously. So hopefully he's in a really good spot. But, you know, there was a big reaction, Chris, when everyone's like, oh, my God, why is Drew Gulak on? He's finally starting to make noise and it's finally starting to work. There, there was a pretty big groundswell that surprised me. Like, I felt that way, but I didn't think that many other people felt the same. And now that he's back, you know, it always felt like that's what was going to happen. I'm just really glad to have him. But, man, just give me Chad Gable with Drew Gulak and Daniel Bryan. Make him, a Make him a group. It is out there. It is so obvious to do. It's so easy to do. If they can do that, plus now you have Matt Riddle, plus now you have AJ Styles. I'm not saying SmackDown is necessarily becoming must-see TV, but that brand will suddenly have a lot of my interest. You want to talk about a SmackDown 6 or whatever. I mean, there you go if if, if they decide to go with it. Uh, I think Gable tweeted something about it. Uh, he did. He teased it like four weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so it's right there. You know, Dan O'Brien clearly took Drew Gulak under his wing, wanted to help bring him up. And he did to the point that people were upset when he left. Like, this is what – this is essentially what Dan O'Brien's purpose is now is to just – get shine on guys who deserve it. And uh, you hope he can do it for a few more guys uh, there as well. Yeah. I respect so much the way Daniel Bryan's going about this latter part and part of his career. I, you know, I think his contract expires in like 18 months or so. He basically said, this is it. We'll see if that's actually true. Um, but, you know, just what he's been doing so far and, and really forcing WWE to keep their eye on guys like Mustafa Ali and Drew Gulak and hopefully Chad Gable Man, like, so thrilled for the way he's going about things. And I do hope he gets another big, like, WWE championship or, I guess, universal championship on that brand run. At some point, I would absolutely love to see it. But speaking of that major title in WWE's world championships, uh, this is another topic I wanted to discuss, which is I feel like the titles, the WWE and universal titles, respectfully, are having, to me, the complete opposite impact on Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman. The WWE title has completely enhanced McIntyre, in my opinion. I think he's found a groove. He's been exceedingly impressive as WWE champion. And you, you've seen it over the last couple of weeks. His match with Seth Rollins was fantastic. Uh, on Raw this week, he had a great verbal back and forth in the ring 
with MVP where he was sarcastic and a little bit funny and kind of dismissed him, yet at the same time was big and strong and and menacing. Uh, and then after, you know, backstage when Kayla was, was interviewing him, again, he was confident and funny. Oh, yeah, I think I left my phone. I'm probably not going to find it until the end of the main event, right? And then he shows up after the main event, attacks Lashley, looks dominant, and WWE makes a decision to use the PC talent to try to break them up. On the other side, I look at Braun Strowman. And this really, I mean, I've already always known this and thought this, but it's really becoming apparent to me when I was like putting this preview together and trying to come up with topics for us to discuss. Somehow, despite being this huge monster, Strowman, to me, is completely not believable. Nothing he says as a babyface, because he's a goody two-shoes face more than anything, None of it carries water. I feel like this is like a bad version of Braun. The good version of Braun is what we've seen against Roman Reigns. Not just when he's a heel, but when he's just absolutely dominant and ruthless. It doesn't sit right with me that he shrugs off, you know, the fiend, or he laughs when he gets challenged to a two-on-one handicap match. It, it just doesn't speak to this guy being a monster and a dominant champion like he should be portrayed. Am I, do you feel the same way as me? Is it just maybe I don't like Strowman? Um, but I'm seeing a guy thrive in Drew McIntyre and I'm seeing a guy kind of wallow in Braun Strowman with the main championships in this company. Drew McIntyre shows up every Monday to kick someone's ass. He's just, he's the first thing he's doing, he's coming to the ring. He's not sitting there. He doesn't come out every time to just cut a promo or have a back and forth. He's looking to kick ass and he's, you know that, as soon as you see him, that's exactly what Braun Strowman should be. That's exactly what Braun Strowman was two years ago in that feud with Roman Reigns when his biggest selling point is just to destroy things. And now he's coming out smiling and waving at Bray Wyatt. He's doing a thing with Miz and Morrison. Like Braun Strowman's strength is not wit or or right. promos right. or stuff like that. It's he's going to kick your ass. That's what he should be doing every week. That's what they have Drew McIntyre doing every week. I love... For example, Drew McIntyre gets the up on MVP by claymoring him at the MVP lounge. He doesn't even give a second to make himself look stupid, and then he has to make the comeback. They're just going with it. I I've said this for a few weeks now. We've not had such an aggressive champion in a really long time, yeah. and it's incredibly refreshing. It adds to his confidence. It doesn't feel like false bravado because we're seeing it every week. He's not letting the villain get an upper hand on him and it's fine it doesn't make the villain look weak we 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 have a, a so often the faces in wwe have to be stupid essentially right, right. and they, and and to get them in a difficult situation and then they have to work their way back drew mcintyre a lot like you know honestly like stone cold steve austin is just yep. showing up to kick ass and you're excited to see him because you know that's what's going to happen and i am loving it and honestly it's pretty much what braun should be doing too yeah, you know, that's a really good point. Um, Steve Austin, even a Triple H to some regards where, yes, yeah, sometimes he would play the scaredy cat as a heel, uh, but as a face champion, he wanted to go in there and beat your ass. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's what his purpose was. Um, even Daniel Bryan, to some respects, he was never made to look stupid. He always had the upper hand, whether he was arguing with Triple H and Stephanie or, and Vince trying to get his way um, or whether he was interrupting a match to, to force their hand. You want faces... To be like that, Braun Strowman seems passive yeah. as, as a babyface champion, and it is so the opposite of what he should be like, and that's not even counting the corniness, right? So 
when they made him, when they put him with Nicholas, I mean, I said it. I, I know some people liked it. I hated it. But they made this guy into a cornball. The the fact that he does the the run around the ringside and, and the shoulder tackle, I'm okay with him doing it. It's it's pretty impressive, especially like when you have Kevin Owens or a cruiserweight or someone like that who can take a massive bump and really sells the hell out of it, right? But I don't need him doing choo-choo outside the ring, like pulling his arm up and down. Yeah. Just like with Roman, I'm glad that Roman you know, has the Superman punch and all that, but I don't need him cocking his fist every single time. McIntyre, the Claymore is devastating. The three, two, one countdown is so cheesy. I know. Yeah. He, and he only does it occasionally. Well, and like, he can't do it now because there's no fans. And I think that helps a lot. It does. So, so when I look at Braun Strowman with this title, they had an opportunity that look, look, Roman put them in a tough position. I don't mean Roman did the coronavirus, but WWE in a tough position. And Roman last minute is like, look, I'm not going to wrestle. And, you know, you guys need to come up with something else. And they came up with Braun Strowman, which I think. You know, I, I came up with a booking idea where it would have been Bray Wyatt, but whatever. Braun Strowman as champion at the time was probably the right easy move as a replacement for Roman Reigns. But they've just been like, well, Braun's champion, as opposed to, okay, Braun's champion, let's make him strong. He is weak. He's not good as champion. And I am watching SmackDown where the champion comes out on television and I'm like, oh, here we go. I know I'm not going to like the segment. I know I'm not going to be impressed by it. And this t- title match that they have coming up at Backlash, which is Braun against Miz and Morrison, a two-on-one handicap match for a singles title. You guys know, I've said it a million times, I hate this stuff. Hate it. I hate the idea that uh, a tag team or two people could share a singles championship just like I would hate the idea that a trio got the opportunity to fight Braun Strowman and beat him for the Intercontinental title. But at least in that case, Sami Zayn was a solo champion. In this case, they're not saying that they're not saying whoever gets the pinfall wins. They're just saying, hey, it's a two-on-one handicap match. And here's the other thing. You want Braun to look strong? I get it. But Miz and Morrison, they've been okay since John Morrison came back. And I haven't really loved it that much. Their comedy mostly falls flat with me. Some people love them. That's fine. Miz is a former WWE champion. John Morrison just came back to WWE and basically in like his first major moment got tossed out of the Royal Rumble like a T-bone steak, uh, you know, on a plate of of, uh, Brock Lesnar, took one bite and tossed it, like ate the entire thing and killed him, right? So John Morrison has looked not pathetic necessarily, but his return has been nothing. So now you're going to feed him and The Miz, who were just the tag team champions a couple months ago, to Braun Strowman just so he can get through a pay-per-view. I would have much rather them done a number one contendership match, a triple threat, something like that, and had Morrison win or Miz win and go one-on-one with Strowman. You're not selling this match any better putting both of them there versus one of them. You do have other people on the roster that they could have put and given this opportunity to Strowman. Or you could have Shinsuke Nakamura say, hey, we just beat you, you know, for the Intercontinental title. I want a shot at your world championship. And boom, you have a match and Shinsuke can lose because Shinsuke losing doesn't matter right now. So I don't know. This match to me, like, I hate it. I just hate it. I hate Braun Strowman, the way they're booking him as, as a babyface champion. It's just insulting to me, honestly. They're, they're trying to say that the only way you can beat Braun Strowman is with multiple people. It's 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 basically what they've said, but they're not showing it. Like, you got to let him run roughshod for a little bit before you get to that right. point. I know he beat Miz, but generally we're not seeing him dominate people. And before this stretch, we hadn't for a while. So that that that's a... It, they're kind of 
skipping steps here. And the other thing, the, the logic of SmackDown is you have a handicap match for a singles title and you had a singles triple threat match at WrestleMania right. for, a, for a tag team title. Right. And it's just, it's not making any logistical sense. Uh, not to mention they already did the three on one for the Intercontinental a few right before WrestleMania. And I get that Sammy's the only champ, but it, this isn't normal. This isn't how it no. should go. And we're getting it all the time on SmackDown. It's, it's really bad booking. And look, I, look, I, this match, this backlash title match for the Universal Championship, it's not going to draw, period, right? What I would have done if we're booking the damn territory is I would have had, like I said, a contendership match on SmackDown. I would have had The Miz win. Then I would have had Braun Strowman murder The Miz, much in the way Bray Wyatt did as The Fiend, murder The Miz at the Backlash pay-per-view. Then the next week on SmackDown, you have Miz and Morrison come out and say, well, you know, you stop, you know, Miz, hey, you beat me, but you're much bigger than me, whatever. You could never beat both of us. Then the following week on SmackDown, you have a Universal Championship match on SmackDown, which is a handicap match. It's a throwaway, but it's not a major pay-per-view title match. It's just a throwaway on a show. You know Braun's going to win. It's entertaining. So if you want to do it, do it that way. But don't get like now out of his last like five pay-per-view matches or four pay-per-view matches, two of them have been handicap matches for titles. And you can't tell me that Shinsuke Nakamura... Sami Zayn and Cesaro, I mean, they did beat him because Sami Zayn won, but you can't tell me that you need three people to beat one dude in Braun Strowman. He's not that big and dominant. If he was, he would have been like a five-time champion by now. SmackDown is missing stars, and the stars it does have are in the Intercontinental. They're in the Intercontinental Tournament. Like, do do Sheamus versus Braun at Backlash for the title. Like, that's believable. Like, you know, there's something you can do with that there. Everybody that they have who could be a worthy challenger is is in the IC Tournament, which I love. I I love the tournament. But clearly, you know, Sheamus is out in, in one round. I think you could do something else moving forward than having Braun in these weird kind of comedy gimmick things. It, it's the exact same thing that they messed up when they had Jinder Mahal as champion. They had yeah. Jinder as WWE champion for no reason. They took him from nothing to WWE champion. And I think at the same time, if memory serves, they had Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens in the US title picture, you know, having that championship um, and, and, and going through those machinations when it should have been the exact opposite where you have this America hating guy as the United States champion, he's starting to get built. You're taking him slowly along, progressing. People are getting used to him in a title picture. At the end of Jinder's run, it kind of started to work. I mean, the promo sucked, but he was starting to become believable. He looked good with the title. You put him with the U.S., you have him go through that. And now you have Jinder Mahal, who is a six-month-long U.S. champion, maybe ready for the main event to do what you want to do to promote India. Instead, they hot-shotted him to the main title. It didn't work. They put their better wrestlers and their better storylines in the mid card. And it just it, SmackDown was terrible during that time. And it's basically what's happening right now. Yeah, you 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 need when you have these kind of hot shotted champions, you need to build with that. You can't just, you know, you got to build that up after the fact, at least. And, and, and they haven't been able to do that. I hope I got my storyline history there right. If I didn't, it was still someone much better. Uh, in the U.S. title picture. I forgot who it was, but it was definitely better than that. All right. Last part of this main event before we talk about some quick things from Raw and SmackDown. Charlotte Flair this week pulled triple duty. She was on NXT, uh, forcing a DQ in the Io Shirai-Rhea Ripley match. I talked about that on last Thursday's show. 
And then on SmackDown, she was in the champion versus champion non-title match with Bailey, where I thought she definitely delivered. They had a really good match together. She lost to Bailey. I forgot if it was tights or holding the ring rope, but Bailey won that match. And then she's in the triple threat number one contendership match on Raw. And I think, you know, we probably agree that in kayfabe, she never should have been in it. Not only is she the NXT champion, but she was just on a couple shows. And there's other women on Raw that could have been given that opportunity in the match. But given the gimmick that WWE is working with her right now, which is that she's the most important woman in the company, uh, every brand wants her, and therefore she was the brand to brand invitation to SmackDown. She is NXT champion and she's a Raw superstar. It kind of made sense that she was on Raw this week, whether you think that she should have, in kayfabe, kayfabe, had a number one contendership opportunity for one title, considering she already has another one. But when you watch the match, she was clearly needed because if that was Natalia, Nia Jax, and Liv Morgan, and I like Liv Morgan a lot, I think she's getting a lot better. But if it was those three, that would have been a shite match. Instead, you had Charlotte Flair and Natalia, who are two of the best workers in the company carrying that match and they turned in a pretty damn good performance all things considering now i hate to harp on it nia Jax continues to be really bad in the ring and it it, it's just it's not something i want to see on my television nevertheless charlotte flair triple threat uh all three shows triple threat match triple duty all three shows for as much criticism as it might get I actually thought it completely worked out. And if I'm being completely candid, I think Charlotte Flair is doing some of the best promo work of her entire career in the last couple of weeks. So in hindsight, I I think you're right that it worked for those reasons. I think Charlotte did add a lot to the triple threat number one contender match. Bailey's beaten everybody pretty much on SmackDown. So she needed somebody else. So I get that. But it's just a lot of Charlotte over and over and over again. And it, it's, it's hard to get, it is. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard not to just kind of groan when you see, she's got another segment coming up because you, you know, she's not going to become the number one contender for the raw championship or whatever. Like the idea that her, if the gimmick is she's great for ratings or whatever, and everybody she's wants not. her. Yeah. I, I'm just saying if that's yeah, what the yeah. gimmick is, yeah, yeah, right. I, I need an authority figure to tell me that I can't just believe her. She's just saying basically the powers that be want yeah. me here. It'd be more believable if you had. I know we don't have commissioners, general managers, what have you, but I think they would add to it if the point of this is we want her because she's rating. So I'm just confused, essentially, when I see her all the time, if, if she's the NXT champion and she's on all these brands. Um the matches worked out. I'm I'm fine with that, but the promos, it, it's always kind of the same thing over and over again. She's really good at what she does. It's just, it's just a lot. I think the promo with um, Sasha Banks and Bailey uh, two weeks ago, I guess on SmackDown really hit for me. Um, and because of that, I started to kind of start buying into Charlotte and the gimmick that she's doing, but you make a really good point. All that's required is while she was on Raw last week or on NXT or whatever, she picks up the phone, says, hey, Steph. Yeah, what's up? What's going on? Oh, you want me on the Fox executives want me on SmackDown? OK, well, the queen will be wherever you guys need. Hang up like like yeah. that. That's it. You don't even need Stephanie McMahon on TV. But if you wanted her on TV, that would be a really good use of Stephanie McMahon, where it's just 
She's not an authority figure in terms of like a commissioner or a GM or whatever, but she's just, hey, hey, Charlotte, can I get you for a second? Quick talk, move on, right? So to your point, I agree. They should be giving more background and, and providing greater context for Charlotte being in this position, as opposed to kind of only playing to the smarks who, you know, read the dirt sheets and basically heard that Charlotte's like quarter hour on NXT was the lowest rated one ever, I think for her match against Mia Yim. And now ever since then, they're playing up that she's a ratings draw and every show wants her, which I do think is funny for me as someone who reads those things. It is funny. But I think for the common audience, you're right. They could use a little bit further context. But I do think she's been doing a, a pretty damn good job, all things considered. And hopefully the her being on SmackDown is now over. Hopefully she drops the NXT Women's Championship at In Your House coming up on June 7th. And if both of those things happen, then in a very short period of time, suddenly Charlotte is just back to being a Raw superstar. Uh, now, speaking of Raw and SmackDown, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but and we could really have this conversation any week. I don't want it to go on too long. I'm just seeing such a massive difference in these two shows. Every time I watch SmackDown on Friday, it's somewhat of a slog. And it's not just because it's on Friday night, but it's like I'm getting through the show. I'm finding a couple things to really like, like the women is something I talked about. The Intercontinental Championship matches or the tournament matches this week. But Raw, I put it on and I just kind of sit back and watch and I'm entertained. And I think a lot of it has to do with Paul Heyman us getting to see a lot of new faces. And there was a lot of talk, Chris, this Monday night on Raw about potential and talent being wasted. It was a theme throughout the entire show. It started, I mean, this wasn't really discussed necessarily, but the first part of it was Apollo Crews winning the United States Championship clean over Andrade with Zelina Vega Hurt and Angel Garza backstage. They you know, they put over, hey, this is this guy's first ever singles title in WWE, first title of any kind in WWE. He never had anything in NXT. Uh, I don't think, you know, he was never on 205 Live, or if he was, it was for like one match. And he never had a title on SmackDown or Raw previously. They took Apollo Crews about six weeks ago, maybe a little bit less, threw him on Raw as the compensation for the Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross trade. And Paul Heyman gave him a good storyline. He's cut three or four really good promos, including his one after the match. And now he's the United States champion beating Andrade clean. Raw has just, it has clearly defined characters and just polls that you can point to. Seth's got his thing. Uh, Alexa Bliss and, and Nikki Cross have their thing. Drew McIntyre has his thing. MVP is kind of there. And, and another one was Andrade Zelina. That was just a thing going on. It was interesting. Apollo cuts a promo before the match. Give you a reason, if you're not paying attention, to root for this guy going into the match. He wins. He gives a promo after the match to give say, hey, you basically say, you were right to believe in me if you watch this match. This is just basic fundamental wrestling stuff that, I, yep. if it's Paul Heyman doing it, like this is how you get people interested in a character. You have to do that. You can't just show a package or or uh, or a backstage segment later in the show. You got to do it in this window of time. While my attention is on Apollo Crews, I got a reason to root for him. I was I saw that he won. It was a good match. And then I felt good for him afterward because they told me why I should feel good for him. All in that 20 minutes or what have you. Just really well done. Uh, that's how you get somebody. 
I don't want to say over, but that's how you push somebody. That's no, it's how, no, it, it is how you get someone over. It's exactly well, what it's, it's a step to getting them over is to do stuff like that time and time again to give us a reason to root for somebody really well executed. We talked a couple weeks ago when Apollo got pulled out of the money in the bank match. I was like, all of a sudden now there's a reason to root for this guy. Whenever he comes back, whatever he does, it's exactly what they did. They paid it off a few weeks later. Just excellent storytelling. That's how you do it. He was doing, he did a good promo before that match. He slapped Andrade across the face. You're like, oh my God, this guy's getting aggressive. Look, I'm telling you, he's been on Raw a few weeks. He's a completely new man. He's cutting promos better than he ever has in WWE. And look, I'm not, I don't know that it's Paul Heyman helping him, but I kind of assume it is considering he's the promo guy, right? And and so yep. many so many wrestlers have credited Paul Heyman with helping them figure out how to deliver promos and define their characters. Aleister Black included. I just recently spoke to him on this podcast. Two thumbs up to Apollo Crews. It was a great match from two great wrestlers. Crews won with his old Uha Nation finisher, which is like a trio of the press slam, the standing moonsault, and a standing shooting star press. That, that, that was incredible. If that was in front of a live full crowd, the place would have gone nuts. That's how good that match mm -hmm. was. So major props to Apollo Crews for being new U.S. champion and a great job from Ron figuring out how to use this guy properly. But as I said, the new faces and the talk about potential and talent being wasted, that was just a part of it. MVP. Well, said, one, other, one other thing, the last, one last thing on sure. Apollo Crews is sure. that they gave you a payoff to this story over about four weeks. It yes. hasn't been stretched into two months and two pay-per-views where you see him over and over and over and over again, and he finally gets the championship maybe, and you're kind of sick of this feud going on. They're, they're, they, the story moved quickly and efficiently, and who knows what's coming next, but like this is proper timing without stretching somebody out too long. Uh, it continues the momentum. It's only been forward, 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 forward movement for him. And uh, again, just that storytelling, really well done. It was also a great decision because we mentioned it previously and we did speculate that Andrade would drop the title soon. Now it takes Andrade where he needs to be. The main event, he gets an opportunity to go head to head with Drew McIntyre. They've already kind of had the squabble back and forth a few weeks ago when Zelina Vega had her entire group. Let's not forget. So Drew, Drew was almost like fighting battles on two fronts at that time, the Rollins battle and then her battle. So now you have this natural feud that's going to develop once he gets past Bobby Lashley. I don't know if it's going to be for SummerSlam, the pay-per-view before, whatever, but you're going to elevate Andrade into the main event where he belongs. And they've been giving you that story and they've been telling you that story the entire time. Um, the other thing I forgot to mention though, uh, just before we move on a little bit is uh, Garza, Angel Garza, because you, they developed his character during the match and then further developed it later in the show. He was completely, he was backstage just kind of watching Andrade while he was flirting, right? With Kayla the entire, Charlie, I think it was the entire time. He's flirting with Charlie. He's not really paying attention. So he doesn't come out to help Andrade. Zelina Vega's hurt. And then later in the show, Garza takes out Kevin Owens' leg, takes out his knee, fights him hard the entire match, like concentrates on the knee, classic wrestling, like concentrating on a limb, and then beats Kevin Owens with his finisher, the wing clipper, Angel Garza beat Kevin Owens on Raw, like clean. I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was dirty because he like attacked him before the match, but clean in that, you know, he didn't hold the tights. He didn't, Zelina Vega didn't interfere. He just beat him straight in the middle of the ring. So Apollo Crews getting pushed as mid-card champion. Andrade seemingly, I hope, getting pushed into the main event. And Angel Garza 
getting pushed on his own as a, as a threat, as a guy who's dirty and underhanded, but simultaneously will sweet talk the ladies. I mean, I loved what I saw from that. Yeah, I, I, I was uh, disappointed a few weeks ago as the Selena group was starting to kind of fall apart a little bit. We'll see where it goes here. May, I mean, I was wondering if they do a Garza Andrade tag team situation, but who the who the heck that's knows a, that's another possibility too. Who, who the heck knows what's going on with those tag team belts right now um, in that that whole division <laughs> right there? But yeah. Um, but yeah, th- this is just it's just been conti- like I said. There, there's a few like four or five just like stories continuing to advance. Sometimes they intersect, and it's just very clear things are revolving around a certain person in all of these stories. And it makes it easy to follow, easy to know who to root for, and uh, makes you interested in what's happening next. Yeah. Now, back to the other topic that I was really trying to talk about here. Uh, There's a lot of talk on the show about potential and talent being wasted, which I thought was really interesting coming from WWE itself. So we talked about Apollo Crews earlier. MVP said it backstage uh, in the conversation with Lashley and Lana, how basically Lana was holding him back. And Lashley was going after stupid things and not really, you know, the world title and and living up to his potential. And then he said it again to the Street Profits later in the show. We'll talk about the Street Profits later. But he basically said, you guys are being corny here where you should be taking on major opportunities like Lashley, basically, and himself. And then you had Seth Rollins, who I thought cut a great promo with Murphy and Austin Theory uh, backstage and basically, you know, he basically said, look, Murphy was a guy who's being completely underutilized, who barely got opportunities. He was cast aside by WWE, and I came in to save him. And Austin Theory just started and was working with this group. He thought he had friends, and then he was cast aside by them, and I'm giving him opportunity. And what happened over the duration of the show? We saw Austin Theory get a clean win, and we we saw the group get pushed. Four really talented wrestlers got to wrestle, uh, in that match, which was uh, Murphy, Austin Theory, um, uh, Alistair Black, and who was the fourth? Humberto Carrillo, who lost, but nevertheless is getting featured again. So we're seeing talented wrestlers get to perform in storylines that make sense and with a clear direction for them being pushed. This should not be a novel concept, but for some reason, in 2018 and 2019, for large swaths of the year, this was foreign to WWE. And suddenly we are seeing a raw program, and this goes back to my earlier point, that for three hours every night, not every segment's good, not everything that happens is perfect, but for three hours on Monday night, I want to watch raw. And for everything I just mentioned, that's all a big reason why. You know, it's not quite uh, the new blood versus the millionaires club here in terms of talking (laughs) about underutilized talent, but that's kind of what came to mind when when I was thinking about that theme and but they're doing it well that they have some of them riding Seth Rollins some of them riding MVP some of them riding with Zelina like this is it's it's very clear that they're attaching people to other very talented people to help bring them up the same way we kind of talked about Drew Gulak and Daniel Bryan like this is a great way to keep everybody involved and I'm big on factions I'm big on on managers I'm big on just units in general and everybody's kind of teaming up here and there. And personally, that makes it more enjoyable to me. And it, it helps you, you get a rub. That's exactly what a rub is essentially. And they're just doing it all over the place. I think pretty smartly. They are now a couple other quick hitters before we finish up today's show, talking raw and SmackDown. 
The Street Profits had a pretty big night on Monday. They had the main event match with Lashley and MVP, which I think in some respects even over-delivered toward my expectation. I thought it was going to be a pretty short match and a DQ and Drew McIntyre would run out, but I think they gave them like the final 20 minutes of the show. You got to see Montez Ford and Angela Dawkins really show out. Um, Lashley and MVP really put them over. Number of good bumps. And they won, that. well, it was DQ, I guess, ultimately, but they got the win via D- disqualification. And then the golf segment with the Viking Raiders, I saw some people grade it very low and, and not like it. And we've gone back and forth on the entertainment value of these things. I think this was my favorite out of all of them to this point. Um, <laughs> the There were tons of Happy Gilmore and Caddyshack references. I legitimately laughed out loud. And it's a silly thing, but when Ivar like sat sat on the golf cart and the tire blew, I don't know why I found that so funny. Maybe I was just not expecting it at all. But I like l- like legitimately laughed out loud. Montez Ford was hysterical the entire time. And the turkey leg gag was good enough. Like it's playing up that the Viking Raiders are kind of these silly characters, which, you know, I don't love that they're going in that direction, but it's clearly what they're doing. So for me, I'm ranking this one basketball two. Um, that other thing, what was it? The axe throwing, axe throwing three. And then if you want to include the karaoke, which wasn't this anything you can do, I can do better thing. But karaoke... Uh, 80th. You know, I mean, it was that bad. Uh, but I love this. And I saw a lot of people didn't. So uh, you and I just seem to have opposite reactions to every one of these. That's I, so I, funny. Yeah. I, I was in on the basketball, loved the axe throwing, did not care for the golf really at all. I, I, I thought it was great timing coming out, coming off the Manning Brady it was. It Tiger was. thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just This one just didn't click for me. It didn't I don't know. The axe throwing is the one that really got me. If I was going to rank him, I'd go probably axe throwing, basketball, golf. That's funny. Karaoke. The one thing I'll say about the basketball, and we did talk about this, was that it didn't make any sense if the Viking Raiders were kind of sandbagging that they were actually good at basketball and waiting till the end after the competition. Right. It didn't really make sense. Again, some of these are hit and miss. I, I really like the axe throwing. There were a lot of characters. It was multiple segments. It built upon itself. The golf felt more kind of one-off. Maybe that's what it was. But, uh, but you know, hey, again, I just want them to be consistent with the Viking Raiders. They're being consistent. They're being they consistent. Are. And yeah. I, I can handle that. Um, and, and then, yeah, the Street Profits looked great in that match. It was good to see him in the ring again. Montez Ford is just killing it with everything he does. And and uh, I, I didn't really like the way they did the DQ. Kind of, we, we had that last week, I think, with the Iconics. Doesn't really, I don't like that in a main event. But... It was supposed to get us to Drew. Match was fine. It was what it was. And and yeah. Um, let's let's d- divert from this a little bit because I want to get to the bottom of this. What is your all-time favorite comedy in terms of like a movie? You know, I was just thinking the other day, the most I'd ever, the hardest I'd ever laughed in the movie was either Wedding Crashers or, or Superbad. I'll say, I think AEW does comedy well. I think BTE is kind of hit or miss, but I think AEW has, has often done comedy well i think cody rhodes the i think the deadpan the like serious but deadpan not as much the the young bucks like breaking the fourth wall stuff yeah i mean i did not ask about AEW at all but i just was curious about movie comedies uh, yeah. see both both of those you mentioned are great i think the hardest i've ever laughed in a movie singularly is something about mary uh i think i was underage meaning i shouldn't have been in the film uh, i think i snuck in but the scene with the hair gel that just I, I legitimately in a theater real this is real fell out of my chair laughing that that's how funny that one scene was for young Adam 
Um, my favorite comedy period is The Big Lebowski in terms of a movie. But Superbad is really good. Wedding Crashers is really good. I just wouldn't put those necessarily up as favorite or hardest that I've left. What about TV show? Regular like sitcom TV show? King of Queens. Yeah, we have different comedy tastes. I think that's <laughs> I think that's as simple as it is for me. It's I, uh, I guess Kevin James, Jerry Stiller. I, I think it's one of the most underrated sitcoms. Uh, it, yeah. What, what about you? Uh, Seinfeld is a number one. And yeah, I mean, Seinfeld cer- certainly out there, no, no doubt. Okay, well, I said I said favorite. I said number one. Right, it's not my favorite, but it, it, it's okay, Seinfeld. Okay. Seinfeld. Seinfeld is up there because of that. Curb Your Enthusiasm kind of works its way in. I just, I find Seinfeld to be better and it came first. So it was, at the time it was more original, I guess. But Curb is incredible. Um, And Parks and Recreation is probably my favorite, more modern uh, sitcom, TV network sitcom. I liked it more than The Office. So I think think I'm seeing basically being dumb comedy like like someone being oblivious is essentially the the, the funny stuff to me I, I see that with parks and rec with andy dwyer or king of queens with jerry stiller uh that kind so of that, stuff so that fits with the axe throwing because that was yeah street profits being totally dumb to the concept of it well and, and also and also the, the viking raiders being dumb to a, a cop and just having right a, right down a park yeah yeah okay fair enough we got we got to the bottom of it i will consider yeah. that a success. All right, a couple more items to get us out of here. Intercontinental Championship Tournament. We saw Styles Beach and Skinakamura in a very good match that I thought featured a number of really smart counters down to the finish. Um, and he's going to be facing Elias next. Uh, and then we had Jeff Hardy beat Sheamus in what I thought was good enough to be the main event. I would have flipped them. The Styles match I thought was better. Styles Nakamura should have been promoted as the main. Uh, but the Hardy thing, classic under, underdog stuff. And Jeff moves on. He's going to fight Daniel Bryan next. So even though Styles was a heel on Raw, I'm getting the feeling he's going to be a face on SmackDown and that he already kind of is. So to me, especially because I think he was back to his blue gear and white gear, he didn't have the red OC stuff. So that means there's four faces in the semifinals. I thought this was a, would have been a really good situation to put Sheamus over and then have him lose the Intercontinental Championship final match and have the feud with Jeff Hardy continue. Instead, they just had Sheamus after all these weeks of being pretty dominant and kind of going after Jeff Hardy. They just had him lose clean. Um, and I thought Hardy looked good. And again, it was underdog. in underdog. Sheamus dominated that match. A little disappointing, though. Uh, I would have had Sheamus win. I do think Styles winning was the right decision. What about you? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously it was my pick. The, the, the whole, the house that AJ Styles built, I, I think they're kind of going to lean back into that again. As term, In terms of the face-heel dynamic, not really sure where it goes. Again, this is kind of what we mentioned earlier about how the, the, the stars, the main stars of SmackDown are kind of all over the place. You don't really know where it's going. It's, it's possible that AJ couldn't, maybe you get AJ, you know, AJ Hardy, AJ Bryan, and he, he takes the heel side and they go forward with that. Uh, so I guess we're just kind of have to see how it shakes out because I'm also not sure. But everything with SmackDown essentially is coming out of this IC tournament. And once this once this tournament finishes up, I think we'll kind of see where the dust settles and where everybody goes. Yeah, I mean, just look at the names we just mentioned. And we're not even talking about who they fought in the first round, right? So there's a significant amount of talent in SmackDown. And as we mentioned earlier, they're adding Matt Riddle and Drew Gulak is coming back to the mix. So, I mean, man, they, they, they have a show. They have, they have dudes on that show to run. Uh, okay, a couple more odds and ends here. Um, they keep beating the drum. 
on this greatest wrestling match ever thing. I think it's it's really starting to get tired with multiple weeks still to go until backlash. I mean, if it was this week, that's one thing, but we got to keep hearing about this. Yet, that said, Edge's promo was really good backstage. And do I think the Ric Flair cameo was necessary? No, but it was a fun surprise and Rick did his job putting over Randy Orton. So I thought that was good. The other thing I noticed, and I'm sure plenty of others noticed as well, is they're using this, I don't know the name of the song, but the theme for Backlash appears to be about the greatest show ever. Yeah, right? it, it's it's the greatest showman. It's the main theme to the movie, The Greatest Showman. Oh, it I, is. Okay. A movie I absolutely love. Literally one of the, my one of the most enjoyable experiences I ever had in the theater. It's a musical with Hugh Jackman in the lead. Yeah. He's P.T. Barnum. It's really fun. Uh, this is actually the Panic at the Disco cover of Hugh Jackman's theme. Okay. And so they're, they're playing greatest greatest the greatest show that that's the theme for this match it's it, i still think it's a work I, I still think they're leaning into this so heavily that this is the greatest match ever that something's going to happen i do not think we're i've said this before i don't think we're going to get a regular match every week as they continue to raise yeah uh, the the hype for it further is my belief in it but i gotta say i love seeing the greatest showman theme on because i the soundtrack is tremendous we'll see the movie listen to the soundtrack I, I got excited. Actually, it actually got me excited for the match, seeing that, hearing that, I guess. It's actually on my list. That is a movie on my list, so I do want to see it. But but the point was that I'm starting to think the only reason they're promoting this match this way is because of the theme they chose for Backlash. Like, I, I honestly am starting to believe that, that they're saying the greatest wrestling match ever, Backlash, and the theme is Greatest Showman. So... Like if, if you looked at, there was a match graphic for, I think it, I think it was McIntyre and Lashley, I believe. And on the left-hand side of it, it said Backlash. And then it said the greatest wrestling match ever. But clearly that's not that match. That's the Edge Orton match. So yeah. I think they're doing it as the theme of the show. And they're doing this as a thematic match rather than actually planning to give us the greatest wrestling match. Forget a DQ or however they actually end up doing it. I just think it's all bullshit. So you're saying you think, you think Orton Edge is going to be a uh, cinematic wrestling match? No, I don't. No, 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 I don't. I'm simply saying that I think them calling this match the greatest match ever. You and I both, I think, agree that there's no intention to make that actually happen, nor do we think they can deliver that. You know, that, that's really the key. Right. But I think the only reason they're going with that gimmick is because of the music they're using for the show. So I think the music and the the theme, the greatest show. I actually think it would have been a perfect WrestleMania theme, or SummerSlam, honestly. yeah, or, or SummerSlam, or, or SummerSlam, yeah. But especially for WrestleMania, if you had a full WrestleMania with fans, yeah. I think it would have been a great theme for that. The circus, it, it, it's it's the same thing essentially. I think it would have been. So it's very very weird. Yes, that it's coming for backlash. Okay, uh, it also feels repetitive to me that we're getting the Iconics against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross for like a third time. I mean, they already beat them. They beat them once, then the Alexa Bliss and Cross retained the titles. Um, and now, I guess that was via DQ, if, if memory serves. And now they're just still going with it. Now that said, while it's repetitive, the Iconics promo on Monday, it's awesome. I mean, that's, that's what you want from them. And then Nikki Cross comes over the top and delivers an even better promo in my opinion. So I go into it and my eyes are rolling and I'm like, I can't believe we're still getting this when they've already had two matches. And yet somehow at the end of it, 
I'm totally bought in, and I can't wait to see the match now. That was the promo from Nikki Cross that we needed a long time ago. Two years that, ago. That, yeah. that's, that's, the found, <laughs> that's the foundation of Bliss Cross that we've sort of been missing slash haven't heard in a while, uh, an explanation of why they're friends here. I think it was well done. The Iconics continue to be very, very good on the, uh, on the mic. I don't know how scripted or not they are. They, they, they really excel in the unscripted stuff backstage on YouTube. Yeah, they, um, don't, they don't seem to be overly scripted uh, in the ring either. Yeah, so they're, they're great. I under, there's no really other tag teams now, women's tag teams, with Asuka having the, the women's championship. So they kind of have to do it this way. I think there's a better way to do it than a rematch after a DQ finish. Again, the only way... WWE has a problem with building championship feuds by just doing the feud and then making it <laughs> championship. Right, so right. I think they could have done it better. But overall, I'm, I, I think it's a, a fine result that we're here. I don't think it really could have gone anywhere else. Yeah, I agree. I also liked the short Natalia backstage, like taking the phone from TJ, the former Tyson kid, um, even though he probably was there because I think he's an agent. But <laughs> nevertheless, uh, they probably should have just showed him on TV if that was the case. Um, but... I like that. It, like de they're developing something with Natalia where she had to apologize. Yeah, she apologized to KO. I didn't like the segment to open the show with KO. It was just, I mean, Kevin's funny, but with the women all coming out and not being able to cut promos, it was just kind of weak. Um, but I, I like that. The Liv Morgan backstage thing. I enjoyed that as well. Like I, again, I get that some people don't like this gimmick that she's like a young girl trying to find herself, but I think it's a unique gimmick. I, I really can't ever remember seeing a gimmick like that in WWE where it's, where it's pretty real and somewhat realistic as well in terms of what she might be going through in her real life, being in WWE, getting this great opportunity and not really going anywhere with it. Uh, it works for me. And, and the fact that they keep putting her on TV, despite her not being involved in a current storyline, that's what they did with Aleister Black previously. And it totally worked for him as well. I'll just say about Liv Morgan, what I said last week, and that I, I feel like it'd really be aided by having some childhood photos or videos mm -hmm. or something when it's just a straight promo and given Liv Morgan's past, we still don't fully know if she's like working us or not. Like if, if there's going to be a turn here or something like that, I, I feel like you could just emphasize it a bit more. And then Natalia stuff, like they are doing something here. I like, I am starting to feel bad for her watching these things. I'm not fully, I'm not really behind her yet, but I, I do think they have the seeds of something going there at least. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's they're doing it with Naomi on SmackDown, too. Now, they had I don't think they touched on it this past Friday, but she lost a couple matches to Dana Brooke. You're starting to get curious about what's happening with Naomi. On the other side, they're not doing anything to make you interested in Lacey Evans or Dana Brooke herself, etc. So or Carmella. So the fact that Raw is just figuring out ways to get all these elements in the show is what's impressive to me. And we'll get out on this. Sonya Deville and Dolph Ziggler beat Mandy Rose and Otis. And what I thought was a fair, pretty decent match uh, that moved the storyline along. I really, really like the Sonya Deville-Dolph Ziggler pairing even more than I like Mandy Rose and Otis, to be honest, because I think Mandy, uh, sorry, not Mandy, Sonya is the one who's developing a strong character more than anyone out of all of this. Otis, you know, we've already discussed my thoughts with him in the briefcase. Ziggler is the perfect element for Sonya Deville to play off of. And Mandy Rose is actually kind of becoming an afterthought in this entire thing. So, you know, I thought the match was fine. And just Sonia is exceedingly impressive to me. Her promos, what she's doing in the ring, and the way she's working with Dolph against Mandy and Otis. 
Yeah, uh, and nothing to add. You just basically said what I was going to that Sonia has been killing it ever since that breakup and the promo she gave there. Uh, every week she's delivering on the mic and in the ring and, and uh, continuing to, to get better. All right. Well, that is this week's WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We will be back Thursday to talk all things NXT and AEW Dynamite. So don't forget to tune in for that. And coming up next week, it's probably going to be another triple episode week, WWE, NXT, and AEW, and then NXT Instant Analysis of In Your House, the TakeOver event. Again, that is next week. Thanks once again to Chris Vanini for joining me on today's show. You can follow me on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. You can follow Chris at Chris Vanini, and you can follow the show. Please follow the show at Getting Overcast. Don't forget, this is your first time listening. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to fine wrestling audio, you can find Getting Over. And if you are a longtime subscriber, please, on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen, drop that five-star rating and review, and please tell a friend about the show. We want to grow and give you more getting over. In other words, help us get over. So, on the way out, you know the man we need to hear from. Elizabeth, come on out here, man. We got something going that's really big, don't we? Yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell him about Macho Madness. Tell him how strong it is and tell him where we're going. Yeah. We into the twilight zone. Yeah. And how Kogan's got no chance, does he? No. No. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man Randy Savage? And they're the greatest wrestler past, present, and future that ever lived. Okay, now say goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye. Okay, now get out of here. Oh, that's right a little now. rough, Randy. Oh, yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Tell Hulk Hogan that and talk I to will. you. I will. Thank you, Randy Savage. Bye for now.